you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. of the Lord this evening. Amen. This is week three in a lesson that I started three weeks ago. Wow, isn't it amazing how that works? Um, Tonight will be lesson three in the final lesson uh, in the series that I have been teaching on how the end time church will face the future. And we've been talking about a few things that are con- that connect the church and the end time, the last days. And we haven't been dealing a lot with the prophet, prophetic um, words such as the signpost toward the end time, but we've talked a lot about how the church, uh, how the end time church will face the future, and that is the end of the church age. So before... As we approach the end time, we before we get to the end time, there is the end of the church age. And so we have to understand the distinction of what I am speaking about here. And that is that uh, we are talking about how the end time church, we're not talking about the world here, but it is how the church will face the end time and how the church must be prepared for the end time and the events of the end time. Now, I'm not talking about uh, how many packages of beans you need to have laid up. We haven't, we haven't gotten into that type of teaching, but we have been talking about what the church needs to do to spiritually prepare for the last days. There will be two great themes that we have talked about that will happen, and that is that there will be a great falling away, and I believe that is a falling away from apostolic doctrine and truth, and at the same time, there will be a great end time revival. So uh, two things that are going to happen that are almost diabolical of each other, and uh, those two opposing things are going to happen. I do not believe one and then the other but they will happen simultaneously. And that is that those that are on fire for God and those that are hungry for God are going to make a surge. And I believe we're seeing this in the end times that we are living. There will be a surge or a move toward apostolic anointing and great moves of the Spirit. At the same time, there will be those that are cold and indifferent and there will be quite a disconnect from apostolic truth, from doctrine, from the moving of the Spirit. Now, it goes without saying that uh, the church, um, and when I say the church, I'm talking about us, you you and I, uh, the church age in which we are living today, um, we are facing challenging, very challenging times. When I look, I am 55 years old, and when I look over my life and look at the different 
that as a pastor that I find myself working with families, working through with families, uh, working through in our communities, um, in society itself, and and the, the world that I grew up in and the world that my father pastored in uh, is so different. We are, the, there's, there is about three and a half generations uh, removed between the two, and uh, the differences are almost not in day. They are almost unrecognizable, the difference between the two. So it goes without saying that we are facing some very challenging times. That's today. We are facing challenging times. But don't get this wrong. We have not seen the worst. Now I know you came to be encouraged tonight and I'm going to encourage you because there is hope for the church. you got to decide which side you're going to be on because there's one side that's going up and that's the side I want to be on. But in the middle of all of this, there are going to be some trying times. And I'm not going to get deep into Bible prophecy here, but I am going to tell you that there will be some difficult days uh, as we approach, as we approach the coming of the Lord, and the church is going to face challenges that we have never faced before. As a matter of fact, we already are. We are dealing with challenges, and I want you to understand this: the things that that I learned as a college student, as a Bible college student. The things that I learned from mentors, from my father being a pastor, growing up in and around the church, the things that I learned that were preparing me for my, my future and preparing me for ministry, um, times have changed so rapidly that I am dealing with things today that when I was in my studies 35 years ago, were not even being talked about. And some of the things, if they were being talked about, it was being talked about as a possibility and almost a shoulder shrug shrug, because it seemed like it was so far removed from society and the church that we may never see that day. And the approach... The approach that my that many in my generation, myself included, may have taken was that the Lord's going to call us out of here before we ever have to deal with these, so no reason to study and prepare and get ready for it because God's just going to call us out of here before any of these things ever come. And I realized that I slept through some classes and didn't turn in homework when I should have been paying attention, and now I'm pastoring in a generation that doesn't look anything like the generation that I grew up in. Anybody feel that way? Any seasoned saints in this room that know what I'm talking about? Because it's not only that society has changed. God hasn't changed, but the church has changed. And the issues that the church faces have changed. And the issues that our families face are greater today than they've ever been. And this is why it's so very important that we we don't stop because if we ever stop growing as a church, I'm not talking about numerically here, I'm talking about growing in faith, growing in study, growing in the word of God, growing in prayer and spirituality. If we ever stop seeking and growing, that's why we're here on Wednesday night, isn't it? Because we're seeking to understand more, to know more, to get more of God. And so we're here tonight and we are studying, but understand that things are changing so quickly that we can hardly keep up. The Bible speaks about the end time, and it says something along the lines of this, if the righteous, anybody going to help the preacher tonight, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where would the sinner and the ungodly appear? If the righteous scarcely be saved, I'm not telling you it's impossible to be saved. I'm not trying to make it hard on anybody. I'm just telling you what the end time is going to look like. We're going to have to be on guard. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where? 
of the sinner and the ungodly of the earth. So it goes without saying we're facing some very, very challenging times. In the church, the church is facing some challenging times, things we've never faced before. And many have said it, it bears repeating. I think I said this last week or maybe the week before. The world that the church is facing today is increasingly more hostile to Christianity and will continue to become increasingly more hostile toward Christianity as time marches on. Now understand this. I don't want to I don't want to paint a bleak Christianity because we have a hope that the world doesn't have. Because we're on God's side. And he's on our side. And if God be for us, oh, come on, somebody. If God be for us, somebody ought to shout back to me what the word of God says. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so God's on our side. So so don't mourn about what's going to happen in the end time. Just make sure whose side you're on. Because the church, no matter how dark the night, no matter how bleak things look, the church is predestined in the end. I didn't say you are. The church is. Anybody with me tonight? The church is predestined to glory. The church is predestined to heaven. Now it's up to me and you to decide where we're going to stand. I want to be on the Lord's side. I want to be on the Lord's side. But now the church is going to face some very challenging times as we move forward. And and I didn't come to hype you up tonight, but I do want to wake you up. And and I want to tell you that the church the church is already facing challenges today that we never have faced before. We are dealing, listen, there are symposiums and seminars and conferences and 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 Things that the ministers, pastors, leaders, preachers of today are having to deal with that we didn't learn when we were in college. We didn't learn from from the generation that raised us up. I I don't mind telling you, I often feel like I'm, I I, I struggle to just be half the man that my father was, but I am going to tell, or my father is, but let me tell you, that the world in which I pastor in is quite different than the world that my father pastored in. And the church, the church age that I pastor in is quite different than the church age that my father pastored in. And this ought to, this ought to shake us to our very core because we are moving toward the end time and as we move, We must, church, we must get back to the basics because there are some things that never change. If the church ever fails to keep prayer a priority, we will be lost. If we ever, if we ever remove God from the throne and put man upon the throne or good preaching or good oratory or programs or anything else on the throne, the church is going to fold. Because we must have, we must be on God's side. And we better know that God's on our side. So the church is facing some challenging times. Things that we have never faced before. And I don't even have the time tonight to go into all of the details. But I could, your mind can just run. uh, And and I don't want to belabor the point. But to tell you the issues that that we deal with today in the church are quite different from a church 50 years ago. Not even close to the same. As a matter of fact, the church that I pastor today deals with issues that the church that I was elected to pastor 20 years ago never dealt with. Is it a lack of prayerlessness? No, it's a changing mentality. Because the Bible said, that the world, that evil will will act, will act wax worse and worse. So the world is going to get continually worse as we approach the end time. So as we're moving toward the end 
time we have to know the night is going to get darker. And so the light of the church, the light of God must shine brighter. And so we, we the, see, here's the deal. It is those that are in the mushy middle that are going to get lost in the shuffle. You need to decide which side you're going to be on. Because here's what I'm seeing. There is a dividing of the wheat and and the, the, the chaff, right? There is a division between those that are lukewarm and those that are on fire. There's a difference between those that are sold out to serving God and those that are having to be pampered to serve God. If you can't run with the footman and they weary thee, what will you do in the swelling of the Jordan? You know what? That's, that is end time prophecy about where the church is going to be and where we are today. If you can't run with the footman, how are you going to deal with the chariots and the horses? I need to get it a little more broken down. If you can't live for God when things are easy, what are you going to do when persecution really comes upon the church and upon your family? Where are you going to stand? And so I didn't come tonight to, to teach uh, a bleak lesson to you because I do believe there is hope for the church. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But I am going to tell you as we approach the coming of the Lord, we are going to deal with an increase, increasingly greater levels of sin. Social media, if it's taught us nothing else, it has taught us the widespread level of sin. It is earth-shattering, mind-boggling. You add your own words. It is almost incomprehensible at the level in which the world is stooping today. This is why the light of the church has got to shine brighter than it's ever shined before. And we've got to know where we stand, put our feet on the ground, and declare who we are and whose side we are on. So I've said it before. I said it last week, I think, or week before last. I do believe it bears repeating that the world that, that the church is facing is hostile to Christianity. And it will become increasingly more hostile toward Christianity. And, and I'm going to add this in there too, okay? Because sometimes we use the word Christianity, it gets lost in the mix. I'm, I'm speaking of it in its purest form. But let me say it like this, Christianity and righteousness. That means right living. I do believe we're living in the last days. I believe these are the final hours of the last days. The Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy that in the last days, he uses the word perilous times shall come. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about two contradicting things that are going to happen in the end time. Remember what they are? There is going to be an end time revival. Remember us talking about that. That is one marker that there is going to be an end time revival. I believe we have been living in this season of end time revival for a while. This is a marker that we're living in the last days, an end time revival. The second thing that the Bible tells us is going to happen simultaneous to an end time revival, an end time harvest, an influx is there is going to be a great falling away. It sounds like an oxymoron, but the truth is they are both going to happen at the same time. And the great falling away is not numbers coming in because there's going to be an end-time revival and a great falling away. So I open by making some statements about there are those that are going to grow increasingly stronger in God while there's going to be those that are going to drift away. And it's going to all happen together at the same time. You got to decide which side you're on. That's the conviction that we must feel in our heart right now. What are, what's the great falling away about? It's a great falling away from truth. It's a decision to try to find a watered down, easier method, easier path than standing strong in the word of God. And then the second thing is, is there's going to be a falling away from a genuine love for the things of God. And so men are going to, the Bible gives us a whole level. I don't even have the time tonight to go into the details. Men are going to love pleasure more. 
doesn't say they wouldn't love God. What does it say? They'll love pleasure more than God. Anybody with me tonight? Am I okay? Just felt like I hit a stump right there. Can I say it again? There is going to be a great falling away from truth, and there's going to be a great falling away from a genuine love for the things of God. In the last days, it didn't say they wouldn't love God. They're just going to love the pleasures of the world more. Are we in the last days? I think we're already seeing this happen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, this I know also in the last days, perilous is the word he used, perilous times shall come. He didn't say men wouldn't love God, but he said they would love pleasures more. You okay? We were doing real good for a minute, and just like all of a sudden, the reality maybe of where we are in this great time clock just hit home with some of us, and we recognize the signpost of the end times. Men are going to love God, but they're going to love pleasure more than they love God. This is, a, this is a signpost of the end times. And then we concluded a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, but talking about the opposite of Antichrist, because in the last days, Antichrist is going to rise and going to come. And so the opposite of Antichrist would be for Christ, pro-Christ, right? And so uh, let's, let's not get this wrong. We're not talking about the man of sin. We're talking about the spirit. Did I just lose you? Let me walk back through that real slowly. There is a difference between the man of perdition, the antichrist person, and the spirit of antichrist. As a matter of fact, the scripture said 2,000 years ago, the spirit of antichrist was at work in the church in that day. The spirit of antichrist. So the spirit of antichrist was already there. That's not the man of antichrist. That's not the person. That's not the man of sin or the man of perdition. It is the spirit that was already at work in that day. In the last days, we are going to not only deal with the spirit, there will be the man of sin that will be revealed. But between now and then, before the man of sin is revealed, we still have the self-same spirit that we must deal with already in the church 2,000 years ago. Oh boy, everything that calls itself of God is not of God. Everything that says Lord, Lord is not of God. And so we've got to be very cautious and careful that we try the Spirit and see that it be of God. Everybody say balance. we got to balance everything with the Word of God. And so we've got to find balance in the Word of God. We've got to know that we are anchored, our balance in the Word of God. And so the opposite of the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of submission to Christ. So you don't have to run, get scared, and run in a corner and suck your thumb because somebody said, well, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Nobody's calling you the devil himself. But it is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of submission to the authority of Christ is the opposite of the spirit of Antichrist. Did you get that? So what we must be careful to do is not to say, well, this is what I think. You ever run into people like that? Well, I'll tell you what I think. Good, I'll listen to you and talk all day long. We can talk philosophically, but when it gets to the Word of God, it doesn't matter what I think or you think. It matters what the Word of God says. That is the authority. And we must be submitted to the authority of the Word of God. It is the high.
level in our life. And so we must be submitted to the authority of Christ. And so that is the opposite of anti-Christ. Anti-Christ says, I don't really care what the scripture says. Anti-Christ says, doesn't really matter to me what the preacher says. Doesn't matter to me what, what I don't really care what they teach down there at that church. It doesn't matter what, what somebody shows me in scripture. I'm going to do exactly what I want. That is the spirit of anti-Christ. That's a spirit. And here's the thing about the spirit of antichrist. The spirit of antichrist exalts its own self. Mm. It exalts its own self, boasts in its own self, lifts itself above the word of God, the spirit of God, or the man of God. And so we have to be careful because if we, if we get caught up in the spirit of Antichrist, we won't care what the man of God says, what the word of God says, or what the spirit of God is trying to do. It's kind of like trying to have a breakthrough service on Sunday, and it's 11.55, and everybody goes, we get out of here in five minutes. They better, they better get their tongue talking over with me. Am I helping anybody tonight? Because if we're not careful, we will get so earthly connected that we fail to recognize it doesn't matter if it's 1155. If God's ready to move, I want in the middle of what God is doing. And so we must be submitted to the authority of God's word and his spirit. All right? Let, let, me, let, me, let me move along. So the fall of Lucifer that led him to being cast out of heaven was connected to the lack of submission to authority. He exalted himself above God and above the word of God. And this is where we have to be careful as the people of God. Now this is meat for you tonight, all right? If you're a new convert and you're used to milk, pastor's bringing some meat to you right now. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. I must be submitted to the word of God. Doesn't matter what I think or what my opinion is. I want to know what thus says the word of God. The deception of Satan at the fall of the garden was eating of the tree in the midst of the garden. And he said it would make you like God or equal with God. Did you see that? That's the spirit of deception. I don't care what the scripture says. I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care. I don't care what what that lesson tries to make. I don't really do you see what that is? That is exalting your own flesh above the word the will and the word of God. The deception of Satan at the fall in the garden was eating of the tree in the midst of the garden. Watch, watch. Being cast out of heaven was over submission to authority. It was a fight for who's going to be in charge. This is why, as a child of God, if there is one thing, if you don't get anything else I, I say tonight, and you're just looking for one thing you can write down to say, I need to go home and work on, it is called humility and submission to the Word of God. If we could get that down, we'd just make strides. There's a whole lot that happens through submission. Now, you know what, you know what the, the enemy said? You know the lie of Satan. It doesn't really matter. The deception in the fall of the garden was eating the tree in the midst of the garden. And you know what he said? Satan says, the serpent says to Eve, you shall not surely die. They only changed one word. You shall surely die, and you shall not surely die. And then made a statement. It will make you equal with God. Now that's a power trip, isn't it? That's the deception of Satan. That it exalts our own desires and will above anything that can be of God. Now, now listen, let me break this down for you. Any 
Anybody who believes that sin can make you equal with God doesn't understand the deception. That was a lie. It's written in the scripture. And the Bible doesn't say, of course, this is a lie. we got to have the discernment enough to know. Eating of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden is not going to make you equal with God. But Satan told Eve, he doesn't want you to eat with it because it will make you equal with God. Now you see the spirit of deception. The spirit of deception. You're not going to, you shall surely not die. It's going to make you equal with God. This has been the vice of man from the beginning, the desire to be like God and to please God. Submission is God's path to exaltation. When we submit to the word of God, that is the path to being exalted. Humble yourself, therefore, Somebody ought to quote it with me right now. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you when? In due time. Humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. But self-exaltation will end in a fall and destruction. Every time. All right? Let me move quickly. Now, we live in a world that is increasingly, increasingly antagonistic toward the things of God. Now, we see that, we see that on, on every front. As a matter of fact, the world makes light of, of Christianity and a Christian's sincere humbleness and submission to God. It is a, it is a marquee in the end time of what the church is going to deal with. Now, in this last lesson, in the next few minutes, as we draw draw to a final understanding of this series, how the end time church will face the future, Jeremiah writes the words like this in the fifth verse of the twelfth chapter: "If thou hast ran with the footmen, if thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses with horses?" And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in this land of peace? He's comparing. He's comparing. Understand, this is written in a poetic style of him saying, look, if if you're out of breath when you're just running with the footman, how in the world do you think you're going to keep up with horses? And then he puts it in another way. He said, if you... He said, if you're weary living in the land of peace, what in the world are you going to do when you have to deal with Jordan that's swollen tide? He's drawing some parallels and some comparisons of the end time. There's a lot of speculation about the church, the condition of the church, and the direction of the church. But I am going to tell you that the church is as powerful as it has ever been. The church. I'm not talking about the peripheries. The church. Now, you have to understand this. The Bible teaches that in the last days, two things are going to happen. Now watch. Watch the two two clear signposts of the end time church. There is going to be an end time harvest. Let's all celebrate. The end time harvest, revival's coming. Simultaneous, not at a different time. The same end time church. End time harvest. There's going to be a great falling away. So that's that's like a paradox, right? Two things that are completely opposite.
events that are going to happen. And they're going to happen simultaneous. How is that possible? Does that mean one church is going to go this way and one church is going to go that way? It's going to happen according to the man's heart and according to their willingness and their sincere search for God. Because here's what's going to happen. In the last days, people are going to sit on the same pew and the same message that is going to bring joy to somebody's heart, promise and hope to somebody's heart, is going to offend somebody sitting on the next pew. We're already living there. I ought to get a stronger amen from the ministry. When you feel like you have to walk on pins and needles sometimes, afraid you're going to offend somebody, that is a sign of the end time. While while right at the same time, while, while some are drawing near to God, some are walking out. While some are feasting at the table of God's word, some are saying, we're just starving to death. It's all going to happen at the same time. Because here's the deal, there's nothing wrong with God's word. There's nothing wrong with God's message. And can I step way out on a limb and almost sound self-serving, but let me speak of everybody else in the pulpit and everybody else that preaches truth. There is no problem with the word of God being preached. There is a problem with those, it is a palate problem of those that refuse to receive the word. Well, that's bitter. I don't like that. This is the end time. And the spirit of the end time is going to be very self-serving. And so all the while, there's going to be some that are drawing closer to God while some are walking away from God. It's going to happen at the same time. We don't rejoice in that, but we must keep a focus on this. If not, we will get caught up with those that walk away from truth and say, well, you know, the, the church is just must have done them wrong. No, this is a sign of the end time. We don't rejoice in that. We don't stop reaching for them because of that. Because I believe until the trumpet sounds, there is still a reason for me to pray for them and have hope for them and love them and invite them to come back into the fold before it's too late. Now I'm quite confident that the prophet Jeremiah was not writing about this generation when he talked about running the soldiers and horses. Nor was he writing to give instruction about how to cross rivers and streams. Jeremiah was in fact using an analogy in life to speak to all of us about serving the Lord. When he said, if you can't run with the footmen, how will you compete with the Lord? This, this wasn't a real military drill here. What Jeremiah was saying, if you can't live for God in the here and the now when things are good, what are you going to do in the last days What are you going to do in the end time when things get really bad? What are you going to do in the final days, in the final days of the final days? What are you going to, if you can't serve God now, what are you going, if you can't run with the footmen, how are you going to compete with the Lord? If you can't live for God now, then what are you going to do when the news drops? So on most days, crossing the Jordan was no real feat. Eight to nine months out of the year, the Jordan River was as docile as a river. I've been there. I've seen it. Uh, I've, I, I tried because I saw it at that point. And I tried to wrap my brain around some of the scriptures mentioning that it, it, it's, it's a mere little stream. It would be no sweat for one to cross. Even a weak and a frail individual could probably attempt such a simple feat as crossing the Jordan in June. But one could walk across the Jordan in most places. They cross over the Jordan all the time on a journey from Bethesda to Capernaum or from Philadelphia to Jericho. They would just walk across the Jordan because it, it was wadeable. You could wade through it. It was a common theme for people to cross the Jordan because it was a meek and shallow little stream, but as sure as the sun would rise and light in the eastern sky, the rains would be, bring change and a rise to the Jordan. And once the 
gentle flowing little brook and began to rise. They call it a river, but it was more of a brook. It was not a lot to it. But when the water began to fall, when the rains began to come, it would swell and swell out of its banks. And when it would rise and swell out, out of its banks, that once tame little branch became a perilous raging torrent that would run out across the rocks and the clearings and it then got into the into the woods and when it got into the wooded areas that laid on the side that was fed by the springs that were under the ground that is where the treacherous things would come that's where the lions and all of the the the, the, the things that could destroy humanity would lay that's where they would be during this time watch this watch this see most of the time there is no problem but what are you going to do when when you have to deal with the jordan at its swollen tide because it's more than just swift water that you've got to worry about hello somebody because you're dealing with more than just swift water. What you are dealing with now is you're dealing with swift water if you decide you want to cross. But if you decide you want to try to get around it, you've got lions and all sorts of things that laid in wait on the side. You better know what you're doing when you deal with the Jordan at swollen tide. As we see the day of the Lord approaching, what I am trying to tell the church is you better get sold out, prayed up, on fire, and living for God now because if you can't run with the footman, what are you going to do in the end time? Somebody said, well, you know, when it comes down to it, this is where I'm going to stand. If you can't stand the day when things are going well, what are you going to do when you face the Jordan at swollen tide? What are you going to do? Because it's more than just water that you got to worry about. Because it may be the things that lurk outside of the water that may be greater than the Jordan itself. The same man would not dare attempt to cross it. It would be far too tre treacherous. Jesus alludes to the times and the seasons. And he says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He, he goes on to mention the change of the Jordan River, but the subject here is not really the Jordan River at all. Anybody with me now? I won't be much longer, but stay with me here just for a moment. He's not really talking about the Jordan River. He's not really talking about crossing the Jordan River. He's drawing a parallel, a spiritual parallel for you and I because the Jordan River has always been referred to as a timetable or a crossing over into the promise. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight because the church has got to understand what this is really talking about because as we approach the coming of the Lord, we're going to have to deal with Jordan swollen times. That means at these end times, as we approach the end time, we are going to deal with things we've never dealt with before. It's a parallel, it's a comparison, the swollen Jordan, that not only now are you dealing with the rocks and are you dealing with the current, but now you're dealing with the animals that lurk on the edge and you're dealing with all of the treacherous things that come along with it from scorpions and spiders to, to, to lions and, 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 and whatever else may lie there. It would, it would have been a treacherous thing. Listen, this is what I'm trying to tell the church. Some people say, oh, it's so hard to serve God now. Come on, child of God. This is nothing. You better get you need to get prayed up on fire and get in alignment with what God is doing because as we see the day approaching, there may be some really difficult times ahead for the church. Now, I'm not going to leave you in gloom and despair tonight. Before I take you home, we're going to rejoice over what God is going to do because as we see the day approaching, there is a hope because the Bible doesn't say as we see the day approaching, as we see the Jordan approach its swollen tide, as we see this end time and all of its struggles, what we need to do is be filled with gloom and despair. That's not what the Bible said. As a matter of fact, here's what it said to the church. Lift up. Lift up your head. Come on, some Bible scholar needs to shout it with me. Lift up your head for your redemption. 
draweth nigh. As we see the darkness of the night, don't get depressed and say there's no way I can serve God. Lift up your head. The redemption of the church is near. The redemption of the church is near. Our redemption draweth nigh. Come on, you can make it through. You're going to make it through. We're going to hear him say, well done. Don't give up in the last day. Don't give up in the end time. There's just one more battle to face. There's one more mountain to climb. There's one more river we got to go through. Come on, child of God, you've almost got it made. You can make it. Just stay the course. Just be faithful. It's going to be worth it all. And if we, and when, stand with me, and when we do, on the other side of everything we have to deal with, on the other side of all the treacherous waters that we have to face, we're going to hear the welcome words of well done. Well done. Well done. Listen, it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. The issues we face, they're nothing in comparison to the joy that is laid up before us. Because what God has promised us is something far greater than this life could ever, ever offer us. Come on, why don't you lift your hands right where you are right now? And why don't you thank God for the hope, for the hope of the church? Mm, There is hope for us. There is hope for us. There is hope for us. God's not going to leave us in these end times. Don't fear what lays before, what lays ahead of us. God is going to walk with us through the fire. It's just a few more weary days. You deal with sickness in your body, it's just a few more weary days. I believe Gabriel already has the trumpet in his hand and he's polishing it up and he's getting ready to sound the trumpet. Come on, child of God. Don't give up in these last days. Don't give up on these end times. It's he, Gabriel's about to sound the trumpet. Come on, grab your brother and your sister and say, come on, we're going to make it. Come on, we're going to get through this. It's just a few more weary days. And then he's going to say, well done. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Oh, let's respond just by walking to the front of the room tonight. I know you're tired and have to work tomorrow. Just take a few moments to walk to the front of this room. And let's just take a moment and rejoice that we have hope. We have hope beyond this veil of tears. We have hope that is not of this world. But we have a hope and glory. It's going to be worth it all. Every trial, every test, every worry, every sacrifice, every Wednesday night Bible study that you had to just muster all the courage you could to to push through tiredness to get to the house of God. But one of these days, it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. Oh, come on, let's rejoice in the Lord right now. Rejoice in the Lord right now. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, come on, rejoice in the Lord one more time. Just rejoice in the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Come on, join with them and sing this simple little chorus tonight. It's a it's a word of faith. Turn back now. 
glad you made up your mind. Aren't you glad you made your decision? Come on, rejoice in the Lord now with a hand clap of praise. Come on, lift your voice with that hand clap and magnify the King tonight. He's for you, not against you. He's with you. In troubled times, He's with you. He's not going to leave you, but He's going to stay with you. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday night. I feel